Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And Paul's starting to list a couple of things here in the next verses uh, that, that he has accounted everything that went before uh, as loss, as re- refuse, uh, as dung, as, as he eloquently puts it, um, uh, that he may win Christ, that he may... Uh, be found in him, not having his own righteousness, not being holy and righteous in his own strength. Uh, and if anyone had a shot at that, it might have been Paul, except for the minor fact that he killed a few people. But in t- touching the law, blameless. He says it a little bit earlier. Um, those are the things that he, he's counting all things but loss. He had good position. He had a lot of knowledge. He had everything going for him. He was young. He was upcoming. Uh, he probably would have reached the heights of power uh, amongst the Jews at least. And so he, he suffered the loss of all of that for what? Well, he's listing those things here now. He wants to be righteous, not righteous by by the law, but righteous by faith in Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him, that I may know Christ. That's why he's counting everything but loss. Why? Because nothing, no matter how big, no matter how consequential, no matter how wealthy, no matter how significant, no matter how shiny and wonderful, no matter how long lasting, no matter how prestigious or powerful is worth knowing Christ. There is no swap that you can make that is equivalent to knowing Christ and to being counted righteous by faith in Christ. And what does he say here? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. His resurrection is the sticking point of history. It's the pivot point around which all of history revolves. His resurrection, Jesus Christ's resurrection. Without it, no gospel. Without it, no Christianity. Without it, no eternal life. Without it, no hope. Without it, why bother? That's what Paul wants to know, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's something else. That's something else. That's what Paul wants to understand, the power to raise someone from the dead, not just so they can live another 40 years, but so they can live for eternity. Because that's what happened to Jesus Christ. He's seated in heavenly places now. We'll find out soon we are too. The Bible says so. That's what Paul wanted to know. He wanted to understand. He wanted to understand Christ. He wanted to understand the power of his resurrection. How could this happen? And how could God be so gracious and merciful as to give it to me? That is something else. What a wonderful thing. I want to attain to that. And that's why I count everything else that's gone before loss, inconsequential, less than zero value, not worth my time if it distracts me from the resurrection of the dead, from eternal life, from knowing the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Everything dies. Have you noticed that? Everything dies. Uh, We will one day. Uh, 
the, the plants, they die. Um, they sort of come back to life again, and then they die again. And then they come back to life and they die again. A tree eventually will die. Uh, the things that we make, they certainly fall apart. Um, this planet has a lifespan. Our sun will eventually die. Stars, which live for billions of years, well beyond our, uh, our comprehension, those sorts of time frames, but eventually they die. That's the natural order. That's what happens. Things die. Everything dies. So when you talk about resurrection, it doesn't compute. It doesn't compute with our natural, our natural reasoning, our natural brain, because we know the natural order of things and we know it only too well. And we spend most of our life trying to avoid it. But we know it's coming. It'll catch up to us eventually. It might be the, the express to Melbourne or it might be the slow train to China. But it's, it's, it's coming, right? It's going to come to us all. So we know that. Right, it's as it's as natural as as anything. Um, someone said, "There's nothing surer than death and taxes." Well, in some places you don't pay taxes, it turns out, but you'll still die. That's how it is. So, resurrection is what makes the gospel. It is what makes the gospel, but it is what makes the gospel unique, powerful, uh, appealing, confusing, confounding, scary, frightful. All of those sorts of reactions are the reactions people have to the gospel. Why? Not because we gather in large numbers in a COVID-safe manner and clap our hands and sing happy Christian songs or anything like that. Those, you know, people have reactions to that and so on. It's not because, um, you know, we, we're such a happy bunch. It's, it, it's, those things stand out, doubtless. But when it all comes down to it, the sticking point is resurrection because that's unnatural. And you know why it's unnatural? Because it's spiritual. And that's what Paul wants to understand, and that's what we want to understand as well. Because the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead has been put in us, not just made available to us, but put in us. Now, that's something else. When Paul talked about resurrection at Athens, the center of learning and knowledge and sophistication and culture, where the people were smart and spent all their time doing nothing but talking about uh, you know, some new thing, studying everything, uh, that they could, learning about everything that they could. They'd already been built on quite a few hundred years by this stage of uh, quite incredible scientific discovery and mathematical knowledge and blah, 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 philosophy and so on. Ask any Greek, they'll tell you about how good that all was. But the Athenians, the Athenians laughed at resurrection because it doesn't compute. It doesn't compute, it's unnatural. Let's go to John 11. We had Pastor Rob up here last night saying how he forgot to look at the clock and then when he did, he forgot what the time was. Well, <clears throat> he's taught us well. <laughs> so I'm going to take it from now. All right. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now I think many of us know this chapter and know these people uh, pretty well. They're mentioned a few times throughout the Bible. The word there, certain, um, in the Greek, which is, of course, what the New Testament was written in before it was translated into English, um, certain, it's, it's, it um, implies real insignificance. There's very little uh, emphasis on that Greek word. And you can see the word there, man, uh, is probably in italics in your Bible, which means it's been put in to help the English make sense, but not actually is in the Greek. And so we get this... Um, th th 
such little emphasis on this guy. It's just some guy. Oh, his name was Lazarus, by the way. I put it to you that, you know, well, we know this is, a, this is a true story. This is a true account, and it certainly happened to Lazarus, and it's a wonderful story as well, one of the most powerful in the Gospels and in the whole book. But I put it to you that this is a wonderful type also of what Jesus Christ has done for humanity, that insignificant race that even when you give them a fair go, just make a mess of it all the time. Those certain men and women who uh, just won't be helped, can't be helped, won't be helped, helpless, hopeless people. You know, the word Lazarus, it means um, God, my helper. Well, he was aptly named, as as we find out. But that's what mankind needs, this certain race. This, this racer who, who have made such a mess of things, what's the point of really putting much emphasis on them at all? A certain man, a certain race, humanity was sick and feeble and impotent and powerless and helpless and hopeless. That's them. They're named Lazarus. God, their helper, if they wanted. Access to the creator of the universe, the one with the power to raise, to resurrect, to revive. That's us. Verse 3. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, that is unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he, had heard, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Uh, verse 7, then after that, saith to his disciples, let us go into Judea. Again, so words come to Jesus now that Lazarus is sick. Word came to God that Lazarus, that this certain man was sick. They've fallen. They've done the very thing you told them not to do. You know, from um, perhaps uh, Genesis chapter 3 to about Genesis 11, where we hear about Abraham, 2,000 years or thereabouts passes. Maybe, maybe that's what the two days here signifies in our type, two, 2,000 years. And we pick up the story in Genesis really with Abraham. You know, God had heard that mankind was sick and uh, he, he sort of waited two days and then kicked the plan into gear. And Jesus is kicking the plan into gear now. And what's the plan for? It's for the glorification of the Son of God. God spoke to Abraham. God got involved with the children of Israel, Isaac, Jacob, uh, uh, Joseph, Israel, the Exodus through Moses, the judges, uh, Joshua, the judges, the kings, um, and on through the prophets and so on. Uh, They're all pointing to one person. Jesus is on his way now. After two days, we can see it all starting to point to him. Let us go into Judea again. And there's some conversation there with his disciples. We don't have time to go through it all. Verse 14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's not just sick now, he's dead. You know, at that point, um, the only point in going to Bethany was for the funeral. That's what our natural mind tells us, and that's what makes sense. 
Verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Sounds a bit harsh. Because they knew that he could have prevented Lazarus from dying. What's the purpose? To the intent ye may believe. Whatever Jesus is cooking up here, as he signaled back there in verse 4, it's for the glorification of the Son of God. And it's to the intent that his disciples might have something really, really firm to hold on to and to believe in. Then said Thomas, who was a real bag of fun, which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Gee, thanks, Thomas. Thanks for your contribution. <laughs> Verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Dead four days already. Again, maybe a little pointer. The Old Testament time span, 4,000 years or thereabouts, humanity is dead or as good as because that's where everyone ends up, isn't it? That's where all of life ends up. Life ends in death. That's what we understand. Verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, so he's come now, obviously, uh, he's meeting Martha. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. She's a little bit cluey, Martha. She may have had just this slight glimmer of hope somewhere inside that, well, you know, this, this guy does amazing things. And, well, I mean, Lazarus is dead now, so probably it couldn't be. But, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it could. Jesus, Lord, it would have been better if you'd been here to stop this from happening because I'm having a hard time believing but I know that whatever you ask, God will do. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's hedging her bets now. <laughs> she doesn't want to get her hopes up, right? She's sort of put it to Jesus in subtle tones and Jesus answered her, not very subtly at all but now she's, she hasn't really taken that and she's gone, oh, I'll get a bet either way I don't know if I can believe in this. Jesus said unto her I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live though he were dead, yet shall he live, and that's our story our natural bodies are still going the way that our natural brains understand. And eventually, if the Lord doesn't return for however many years it takes, each one of us will drop off. That's the way that it goes. So you could say we're dead already. It's just waiting to happen. We're as good as dead, right? Well, Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you're as good as dead. But if you believe in me, you're actually as good as alive. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Now that's a challenge. Do we believe that? That's what this is all about. Remember Paul? I count everything that I've lost so far and everything that I've given up so far and all the sufferings that I've been through so far for this thing that I won't know Jesus Christ, that I might know the power of the resurrection and that I might even attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's what I'm in it for. Is that what we're in it for? Can we believe 
could it be possibly that Jesus Christ would raise us? Even though our natural bodies may go the way that we understand they will, we could still somehow yet live? Well, that's, that's the essence of the gospel. That is the good news. That resurrection from this natural mortal state is possible and if we walk in the Lord is a certainty. Now I can't think of any better news than that. You can live forever with Jesus Christ. You can live forever in heaven with the creator of the universe. You can live forever in heaven with each other, even Eddie. I don't want to make it sound, I don't want to dampen things a bit, but, you know, we'll, we'll be changed a bit. I'm going to cop it now. <laughs> the next five Christmas camps, I'm just going to get it now. Um, <clears throat> that's the promise unto us. Can you believe it? Can you believe it so much that you can tell others about it? That's what's going to happen if we walk on in the Lord. Verse 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. I think they got the wrong idea. It's often pointed out that Jesus probably is groaning and weeping because he, he's surrounded by unbelief. You know, three and a half years almost to this point, he's been doing amazing miracles. He has raised someone from the dead before this, by the way. You can read about it in, in Luke. I think it's Luke. And, and so they should have known. They should have known that where Jesus was, all things were possible, even the reversing of the inevitable natural way of things. Death itself can be reversed in Jesus. So I'm not surprised he felt troubled. Verse 37, And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Verse 38, Jesus therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Just put yourself in the position of one of the observers here, or Mary or Martha or Lazarus. He didn't see this coming, it's fair to say. Um, <clears throat> what's Jesus doing? Take away the stone. Martha interjects. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. What are you doing? Don't take away the stone. It doesn't make sense. Wait a minute. Could he? Is he about to? I'm not sure, but maybe he's going to. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Remember, this is to the glorification of the Son of God and to the intent that people might believe in him. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now, if that doesn't send some sort of chill down your spine or some sort of reaction, then probably nothing will. Think about being there. Think about seeing that happen. He's just raised someone who's, who's dead for four days from the dead. He's just resurrected them. He's just shown what the true power of God, what the true power of Jesus Christ is capable of. And through this story, he's given us a type of what is available to us. Because I think every, well, most people, at least in here, have availed themselves of that power, of that opportunity. You, like Paul wanted to, wanted to find out, wanted to experience, have already got a taste of resurrection power. You already know the resurrection power. You already know Christ. You have already attained just a little bit to the resurrection of the dead. We've got the foretaste of it already. When when you were baptised, when you received the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ has said to you, come forth, come out of that dead shell, I'm going to give you life. When you received the Holy Spirit, your eternal life started. The tragedy is we can throw it away if we want to, of course, and some do. We don't want to walk down that path. Your eternal life has already started. Your body may be going the way of this world, and that's fine. <laughs> because if you don't have legs and hair like James, well, then what's the point anyway, right? <laughs> but, but we can live forever. And not in these, but in whatever marvellous shape or form or, or, or whatever it is that God has prepared for us. We know the scriptures say, when we see him, then we shall be like him. And whatever that looks like, then we'll be made like that. And that's already started from the moment Jesus Christ said, come forth and filled you with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2. The hope of um, the, the resurrection at Jesus Christ's return, the change from uh, mortal to immortal is a wonderful thing and something that um, rightly uh, motivates us and keeps us going. But let's not forget that it's not just something that is to come. It is in its fullness, absolutely. But it is something that we're already partaking of now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. He made us alive. How alive? Well, here's a comparison. Together with Christ. And how alive is Christ? Well, he's... Uh, well, I'll just read on. How about I stop trying to put my own words in there? We'll actually read the Bible. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where Christ Jesus is, in heavenly places, seated at the right hand of God. Well, the Bible's telling me that that's where we've been seated also. You want to know the power of resurrection? You want to know Christ? You want to attain unto the resurrection? It's been put in us already. It's already begun. The work is not complete. The work is not perfected. But it's already begun. You've been revived already. You've been raised already. You've been resurrected already. We call ourselves the revival fellowship because that's what happens to someone. They are revived. 
when they receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, it says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. You know, when you get a healing, when some miracle happens to you, when God works in your life, that's that same power of resurrection. He reverses the natural order of things and provides a spiritual solution to something that we thought was just going to go this way because that's the way we understand things go. And Jesus Christ and his power and the Holy Spirit step in and make the unnatural, the miraculous possible. That's the power of resurrection. If you've tasted of the power of resurrection, put your hand up. If you had a healing, put your hand up. Show me. If, I wish we could turn the camera around. For anyone who wants to watch this later on, every single, almost every single person's put their hand up. Some people don't like to because they feel like it's a bit Pentecostal. Well, we're not waving them, okay? We're just putting them up, indicating, yes, I've been healed. <clears throat> We've all had a little taste of the power of resurrection and therefore we're already starting to understand it. With God, nothing is impossible. That's the power of resurrection. In Romans 6 verse 11 it says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Colossians it says we're buried in baptism and we're raised up by the operation of the faith of God. Look that one up and get the quote correct later for me. Healing, renewal of our mind and our thinking is a foretaste of the full resurrection power. And we've heard some amazing testimonies already. Suskies has been mentioned a few times. Uh, Briar, I saw you yawning, Briar. She, she was up here just before. Um, though, you know, raised from uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, paralysis, going up her legs and her arms, and then the Lord healed her. Well, that's resurrection power. We had a brother up here uh, some nights ago. His name is Chris. I'm not sure if you're still here, Chris. But he was raised out of the ignorance away from me. He was raised out of the ignorance and the self-righteousness and, and hypocrisy and, and idol worship of the Greek Orthodox Church. Taken out of that, his mind renewed, revived, refreshed, resurrected. It's the power of resurrection. And we get little tastes of it so that we know just a tiny bit of when it comes in full, what's going to happen to us. Acts 4 to finish. I won't talk too much longer. Uh, I just want to finish here. Um, Ryan gave us a really good talk earlier today about getting involved in, in evangelism and, and looking to witness and so on, those simple things that we know how to do, uh, the best remedy um, for when th things get a bit confusing and so on. Well, when we're witnessing, what are we telling people? We're telling them the gospel. And what is the gospel? Of course, we need to tell them, repent, be baptised, receive the Holy Spirit. But why? So that they can attain unto the resurrection. That's why. So that they can have their sins, which otherwise would prevent them from being resurrected. They can have their sins absolved, removed, completely forgiven, uh, taken away. God says he has removed them and forgotten about them, thrown them away, never to look at them again. So why should we? That's why people need to repent, be baptised and receive the Holy Spirit so they can attain unto the resurrection. That is the gospel. That is the good news. There's more than this. There's more than this slow journey to the inevitable. You can live forever. That's the gospel. Why? Because Jesus made the way. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's our job now. It's been handed down over the last 2,000 years. It's our job now to go and give witness. Hey, I was healed. Hey, I know someone who was healed. Hey, God works in my life. And you know why? Because the God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is using that same power to work wonders in our lives and he's going to raise us and he can raise you too. Let's go out and be witness to that and may his wonderful grace continue to be on us. Thank you for putting the camp on Adelaide. Uh, We've had a wonderful time. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening.